Welcome to the Pastor's Cut Podcast. This is for the week of September 25th, 2022, and right before we hit record, we decided to rename this podcast the Creepy Old Guy Podcast. Hey, speak for yourself. I didn't decide that. You're creepy and old. You're over 40, aren't you? I am. Yeah, there we go. So, yeah. And then Brad's over like 80 back there. Yeah, so I had a, a moment last night. I, I'm getting to teach at OBU. Uh, composition majors. Yes. And last night I used the example of how great is our God for a four chord chord progression and none of the students knew the song. Oh <laughs> man. I'm like, oh my gosh. And that song's not been around but no, fifteen no. years maybe? No. Uh two of them had um come from very current like we only play stuff written in the last two or three years. Biggest hits, never heard the song, and one was from a very traditional church that only did hymns, um, and they'd never heard the song. And I'm like, opposite extremes. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Wow. Well, well, the reason this is the creepy old guy podcast is because Marissa's not here today, and it's just me, Super Dave, and mediocre Brad. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Sorry. I was with, trying to think of a quick nickname with, for you. I couldn't think of anything. Friends like Darren, right? Yeah, I tell you what. Uh, so we're we're operating uh, sans Marissa today, uh, but we are going to cover uh, Luke chapter 18, which is the topic for this. Before we get to the text, uh, one thing I really would like to encourage teachers to do, uh, and if I were, it's code word, if I were teaching this, just a gentle advice, a bit of advice, um, I would have some time to share what are some things you do in prayer that you have found to be beneficial for you. Instead of just talking about prayer and principles, give, give it that personal application. Here's some things maybe you haven't tried before. So just, uh, I want to go around the horn here just for a minute. You know, Super Dave, what, is there something you do in your prayer life or have done before that, that could be teachable to others? So something that I have done before that I, I found to be pretty helpful. I, I often, when I pray, you know, my mind wanders really easily, and so I try to give myself not only enough time, but just you know, even either a notepad or I'll just have notes on my phone ready to go so I can just type other things that come in so I don't forget something else. But then I can be undistracted and say, okay, now I've written that down so I don't have to think about it. I've got that distraction out of the way. Now I'm back to focusing on God. Okay, God, now, now I'm giving my full attention. So you take that same principle, like why, why you keep a notepad by your, your bed at night. So if you wake mm-hmm. up, you think of something, you just reach over and write it down. It's off your mind. It's on the paper. Now you can get back to sleep, or now you can get back to prayer. That's exactly it, yes. Okay, that's a good good piece of advice. Uh, Bradford, what do, what do you have? Anything good for you that you... And by the way, Saint, what was it? St. Augustine said, He who sings prays twice. And so many of the songs we sing are themselves prayers. And it's Augustine's kind of saying you, you double down when you, when you sing a prayer. So any good piece of well, advice I th- you Well, I think the meditation, if, especially when you're singing songs that are from Scripture, um, are, are huge in terms of setting your mind and getting ready to face a day. So if you can find, I have this thing that I do every morning where I read five Psalms and a proverb. That's not a huge mystery. Lots of people do it, but it works well for me. And it's interesting how you always find something new 
you've, you've read the same thing every month for several years, but every, my habit for praying, praying is to find what that new truth is and then pray it back to God. This is true. This is true. Your word says this is true. Thank you for this truth sort of thing. And that seems to be one of the best things you can do for your relationship with the father. And I know as a father myself, one of the biggest compliments the boys can give me, we have two sons, is when I hear them say, you know, my dad said, yeah, blank, 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 blank. And, and you fill in the blank and you're like, oh, they were listening. They, li- they, they actually were, listened, were listened to me. Wow, what a deal. Doesn't happen often enough. But yeah. yeah, so it's that same principle of when we pray the Bible back to God, it's, you know, Father, you have said. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, probably his heart is warmed by the fact that we're actually trying to listen. I like to think so. Yeah, me too. So uh, I'm teaching on Wednesday night uh, through the Psalms um, as a way of learning prayer. Uh, a couple of things, we, we're experimenting with different kinds of prayer. One thing I've invited people to do this week is to choose a psalm and write it out. And as you write it out, pray it back, because I, I have the same trouble with the wandering mind. And I've started this rather recently of taking a psalm. You know, this morning I just wrote the first couple of verses of Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so just writing out those psalms, it it's, gives my hands something to do, and it engages my mind. It engages more senses as I pray, mm-hmm. rather than sitting there with my hands folded and eyes closed, and I drift away sometimes, right? So what Jesus does is he tells two stories. Um, when I teach this, I'll say that, that Luke often likes to pair things up. He likes to pair people in advance, and, and he creates these little, these little duets, these little packages all throughout his gospel. And so here in Luke 18, Jesus tells two back-to-back stories about prayer, and we don't have to wonder about what he's talking about uh, because uh, Luke actually gives commentary. Here's what Jesus was trying to say with this story. So let me read the first one. Now, Dave, Dave, you read the first one. I've been talking too much, and then I'll read the second one. But uh, why don't you read Luke 18, 1 through 8. All right, here we go. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they, would, they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, he will he find faith on the earth. So, so here's the main point. Jesus told this parable so they should always pray and not give up. Jesus wants to teach here about the persistence of prayer. And what he's doing is he's drawing a contrast between God and this unjust judge. He's not drawing a parallel. He's not saying God is this unjust judge. He says God is very different. He's a loving father. Uh, and if even evil people can do right occasionally, how much more of God who is righteous will he not do what is right consistently? But here's the challenge. God is not the unjust judge, but sometimes it feels like he is. 
sometimes we ask for things, and it and on our timing, it doesn't seem like God's going to give us what we want, and God's not going to operate according to our timetable. So let's explore this for just a minute, because oftentimes we interpret God's delays, uh, we, we indict His character over that, rather than saying, okay, is there something else I need to be saying? Why does God sometimes delay in answering our prayers? Let's just kind of play with that for just a moment. Uh, because God, He's not the unjust judge, but man, sometimes it feels like He is because He's not giving us what we want. So why does God delay in answering? And if I were a community group teacher, if I were teaching this lesson, oh, I hint. would ask this question. Hint, hint, wink, wink, wink. Yeah. So I, there's a variety of reasons why, why Scripture tells us that God doesn't always answer immediately like we, we would like Him to. Um, you know, I think of in the book of Daniel, we, we see that, that Daniel prays and asks God for an answer. There's some spiritual warfare involved, and, and we don't. He, an angel was sent immediately to give a response, but he's delayed in giving that response. Sometimes it's that there's, there's a little bit more that we don't even get to see in the supernatural. Sometimes it's that we are not in tune with what God wants, and we're praying for something very selfishly. We're expecting the... We're expecting God to be a slot machine that we pull. We pull the slot yeah. down, and and boom, something comes. And so you just given two great insights. I want to make sure to to tag both of those. Yes. That we ask something, and you know maybe there's more going on than what we're fully aware. Here's the hardest thing for us to understand. It's not about me. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, sometimes God's not going to answer because Darren, this is more than just about you. I know what you want, but the world's so much bigger than you, and so you've got to trust me. And sometimes it means putting self aside. Then the second thing you said I thought was great is sometimes we are just outright selfish, and we're asking for things that the Father knows ultimately is going to be destructive to us. So He's not going to give us that because it's not good for us. And in, in context, Paul or Paul, in context, Luke is writing about the kingdom of God. The eighteen one through eight falls in the greater scope of a conversation that Paul, that Jesus is having with Pharisees. I keep <laughs> what, my mind is on. My mind is on writing a paper right now for something else. Oh, and so, Dave, I come know. on, creepy old guy. Come I on, get it, get it together. Get it together. So, it's Luke. So, so Luke. we're in Luke. We're in Luke chapter 18. So in, in verse 17, if you back, or in chapter 17, if you back up a little bit, this is a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Pharisees are, are present also. Pharisees are asking Jesus questions while his disciples are there. And the question that was just asked was about the kingdom of God. One of the Pharisees in, in 1720 asks, when, the kingdom, when will the kingdom of God come? And so Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, then he talks about this parable as an example of that. This widow is looking for a sense of justice. She's, she's praying for God to take care of her needs. In the full consummation of God's kingdom, when heaven is made manifest on earth, widows are going to be provided for. But the widow is probably the lowest person on the Jewish totem pole in the Jewish system, someone who completely was vulnerable and, and had no means of providing for herself. So she's seeking justice. Jesus is trying to say something about when we pray, maybe part of that as well is looking at the bigger picture of God's kingdom, God's rule, That's God's it. reign, and how can we pray for God's justice, for God's rule and reign, not just what our immediate context is. There's another thing in there too, guys, and, and being a father, I keep going coming back to that because no, it's part of, part of my experience, is we, we've seen over the decades 
what giving your children everything they ask for does to your children. Um, I, I would not be a good father if I gave my boys everything they asked for as young teenagers. Um, because it creates entitlement, not gratitude. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and it makes it makes me um, have no wisdom. Yeah, you know, it it makes me just a gift giver and not a teacher, not a coach, not a not a father. So, um, you you can't give, and you shouldn't. <laughs> Lots of friends right now dealing with teenagers that are just going nuts because they've literally had everything handed to them, and they have no sense of earning anything. Right. Mm. Yeah. So you know, and that's the challenge of parenthood is how to how to realize my my job is not to be liked as a parent. My job is to be respected. Yeah. And I want my kids to love me. And love is a part of that respect, but it's it means that my kids aren't gonna, always going to like me. And I think many times we don't we don't like what God is doing. He's not giving us exactly what we want, but we need to remember that we we love Him. He loves us, and because of that, there's mutual respect. Mm-hmm. Key word here is persistence. That Jesus said, "I, I want to tell you this story. Keep praying. Don't give up, even when it feels like God is that unjust judge." Because we keep praying that same prayer over and over. Either God will give us what we want, He'll change the circumstances, or many times He changes us. That, okay, I, I've prayed for this for so many years. I'm not getting it. Okay, is there is there something else I need to see? And maybe God will lead us to change the prayer in a way that He will answer it, that He is ready to answer. Uh, persistence, okay? Now here's the second parable. And this is in verse 9, verse 9 to uh, 14. To some who are confident in their own righteous, righteousness and look down on others, Jesus told this parable. So there, there's the key point again. You know, don't, don't value your own righteousness. Don't look down on others. Here's how we should pray in, in, in that uh, tone. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers and evildoers, and Methodist and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I'm freelancing there just a little bit. Uh, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." I want to go back to uh, how Luke likes to pair things. In the first parable, uh, the main character was a woman. Here, the main character is a man. Uh, in the first parable, it was somebody who, uh, the woman who believed absolutely she was right, and here as a tax collector, he understands that he is wrong. Uh, in the first parable, a widow, Dave, you mentioned this, a widow is the most vulnerable uh, the tax collector was one of the most powerful people in society. He had the full weight of the Roman army behind his ability to levy taxes. And so we have two very contrasting individuals here. And, um, and so what does this parable teach us about prayer? Let's reflect on that for just a moment in, in, in regards especially to humility. What, is this, what does this teach us about prayer? That's a really open-ended question. It is a very open-ended question. You could go lots of places with that. I, 
I, as I read this passage, you know, time and time again, I, I think it says something to me about my approach to God and, and my look at myself. Am I looking at myself as somebody who has it all together, or am I willing to be vulnerable and go to the dark places of my own soul and say, you know what, there's a lot of stuff that I don't have together. So God, I invite you into those places, and I just need to lay them at your feet and say, it's not about me. It's about what you're doing in me and what you want to do in me. Yeah. Brad, what you got? You got anything good? And no is an acceptable answer. If you don't come to the Father from a place of humility, you don't understand your relationship to God. There you go. Uh, it, it, you can't know what God is, and you probably think too highly of yourself. I, he's God. He can yeah. do anything he wants to do. There's that little chapter in Daniel where he talks about, and no one can say, why have you done this? Because you are God. That's your role. You see things in the future, in the past, in the present that we do not see. And his wisdom is far beyond, beyond ours. And if to, to ever come to him with anything but humility would be absolutely uh, foolish. Yeah. And so, you know, you look at this and what is the Pharisee doing? He's comparing himself to other people tax collector is comparing himself to God. And that is the, that's not a false humility. That's a, that's a real sense of humility. Had somebody tell me not long ago, and they got this from another Bible teacher, that when it comes to reading the Bible and prayer, often what we do in the Western world is we glance at God, but we gaze at ourselves. It's, okay, I'm reading this Bible, the Bible, so I'm going to glance briefly at God, but I'm going to gaze at myself. What does this say to me? What does it have to do with me? And the Bible teacher said, we ought to flip that. We ought to gaze at God and only occasionally glimpse at ourselves. And just think about how much of our prayers and how much of our reading is, is me-centered. When I fix my eyes on God and I'm gazing on Him, occasionally I do need to glimpse myself. Uh, but that's where real transformation happens is because I now understand who God is and who I'm not. And that's the source of that humility. I'm not always a fan of Jonathan Edwards in, in some ways because he, he comes at, at faith from an extreme Reformed position, mm -hmm. but I, I read one of his works uh, where he talked about revival that was happening, and, and one of the things in his era that he talked about revival that I thought was profound is that he really wanted people to understand who God was, and when they got a glimpse, when they have a full picture of how big God was, that would transform their own perception of themselves and realize that they desperately needed a Savior in their lives. And so he intentionally put people in small groups to talk about the greatness of God for that reason. And so how interesting was that, that he paired people with other people to talk about how big God was for them to realize that they needed Jesus in their lives. That's I do right. think there's a part two to that, though. Sometimes we, we realize how big God is, or we try to realize how big God is, and we keep putting ourselves in this humble position when God indeed is in our lives. God has transformed us to be victorious. And for us to keep condemning ourselves as if we've not been redeemed and saved and set apart, sort of is to wave our hands in God's face and says, yeah, 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 but really I'm just a sinner. And he's like, no, no, no. I saved you. Yeah, you're my child. Hey, yeah. Come on, I picked you out. This is not a big, this is not a trite little thing. You are able, not because of your own strength, but because of me, 
to be able to do all these things and, and have strength in situations that you think you can't do it. Guess what? You're right. You can't, but I can. And our, our new life, our new identity is found in him, not in our own ability to keep all the laws and, and all those things, but just surrendering, surrendering, you know, surrendering. You know, Brad, you're, you're almost better than Marissa. You're, she's out. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, tell, nobody tell her I, I said that. I, hopefully this doesn't get on the air. No, hopefully this doesn't go out. We'll it's just, part out. just between the three of us. Um, yeah, and, and Brad, I hear what you're saying. There's a, there's a difference between guilt and shame. That guilt is I need to take responsibility for my sins. Shame is when sin becomes my identity. And we are not called to be victims. We are called to be victors in Christ. So there's, you, there's a balance there. If you keep staring at headlights, you will veer towards it. Yeah. There, there's also a sense that, that a lot of Christians have accepted this false humility wrapped up in that. You know, we're talking about humility in this passage, certainly is, is about humility in approaching God and, and looking at ourselves. But when we make it so much, we let the pendulum within our own soul swing so much to the other side where we have to be so little. When God has transformed us, you're right, it, it, it sometimes... I'm, I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace. That phrase is not in the Bible. <laughs> Sorry, it's just not. Nor is the concept. So here is um, kind of where I'm going to land the message on Sunday. And teachers, you can um, wrestle with this if you want to, or just so you'll know where I'm going. Pairing these two passages together. Uh, the first parable seems to teach, don't think so low of God. Don't, don't think so little of God. He's not an unjust ju judge. He's a loving father. Don't think so little of God. And the second parable drives home, don't think too highly of yourself. And I think as we keep those two things in balance, you know, we, we should not think lowly of God. We should not think too much of ourselves. We should think more highly of God and think more humbly of ourselves. That's a good place to be in prayer. And there's this um, honest humility that should run it should be the, the, the very blood in the veins of our prayer. Uh, we think highly of God. We don't think too highly of ourselves. Uh, and we, we live life as his child and in submission to him. So does anybody really have something else they want to say? Is that it? Marissa, do you have anything? Oh, wait, Marissa. Oh, she's here. not here. I almost forgot. Okay. No, Marissa will be back next week. In fact... Um, Marissa is going to be flying solo next week, so you can look forward to her, and so she'll probably listen to this beforehand and, and wish all of us away. So that will just be, <laughs> just be that, that way it is. All right, so for all of us here in Studio 1A, um, I don't even know what that means. We, have, we don't have more than we one studio. We don't have a room number for the studio sounds, either. That sounds very cool. Though. I'm going to say that. It's like we have multiple studios. Hey, from Studio 1A... We're signing off. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make His face to shine upon you and grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.